Well, good morning. And welcome to those of you who are joining us online. I'm so glad that you could be here with us today. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Pastor Graham. I'm the teaching pastor here at Elam Chapel. And I'm excited to be continuing our series today. We've been working through Peter's letters. So last week we finished working through 1 Peter, and today we are starting 2 Peter. And I'm, uh, I'm pretty excited about this letter. I think, there's, I think there's good stuff in here for a change. I think, I think you, might, you might be uplifted or, or edified and, and brought closer to God by our familiarity with this book. So I'm excited to get into it. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we will. Lord God, thanks for today. Thanks for bringing us together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this letter that we get to begin to study today, Lord. We pray that you would open our hearts and our minds and that we would come closer to you for it, that we would have our lives transformed through a touch of your spirit, that by drawing closer to you, Lord, we would become more like you, that our Mondays and our Tuesdays and our Wednesdays would be different because of our Sundays. Pray this in your name. Amen. So if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to turn to the book of 2 Peter. It's pretty close to the end. Uh, if you're following along on your phone, I uh, recommend switching over to the NIV because that's what I'm going to be working out of, and that makes it easy if we're all working out of the same translation. But you do you. I'm not cranky about it. 2 Peter is a bit of a weird book in the New Testament. It is a letter like so much of the New Testament, but unlike many of the epistles, it doesn't tell us who it's written to. It doesn't include any other personal greetings at the end, as many other epistles, including 1 Peter, do. This has led some scholars to suggest that 2 Peter was written as sort of Peter's final sermon, his goodbye address to the church, right before he was to be crucified upside down by the Romans. This means that 2 Peter has something interesting in common with the book of 2 Timothy, being the last writing of that author also. Paul, writing in 2 Timothy 4.6, speaks of being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. Paul, writing 2 Timothy, knows that this is very near the end of his life. And Peter says something similar in chapter 1, verse 14 of this book because I know that I will soon put it, referring to his own body, aside as our Lord Jesus had made clear to me. Assuming then that this is when this letter was written just prior to Peter's death, that would place the time of writing in the mid-60s AD. It also likely places the letter as being written in Rome where Peter would die. But whereas 1 Peter is clearly addressed to a group of churches in various parts of Asia Minor slash Turkey, 2 Peter has this sort of general address. To those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. It's almost to whom it may concern. Like, it's not, it's not that general, but it's almost that. Which suggests that this letter was written intentionally to be circulated among many churches. Which is what we're doing today. This is part of what leads scholars to believe that this was a farewell address on the part of Peter. Because he was planning for it to go all around the church. Now, there is a verse in chapter 3, verse 1, that says, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. Referencing the first letter. So there's a good chance that this letter was at least initially being sent to the same group of churches as 1 Peter, 
even if the intention was, it for, was for it to be circulated more widely following. So let's recap. Second Peter was written by the Apostle Peter just prior to his death, so likely in 64 or 65 AD. It was probably written initially to the same group of churches in Asia Minor as Peter's first letter, but was clearly also written with the intention of broader circulation afterwards. So let's read this first chapter, and then we'll get into what it has to teach us. Second Peter chapter 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. For we did not follow clearly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Well, so we noticed something interesting in Peter's greeting in 1 Peter, if you can remember back that far. And I'd like to point out a couple of interesting things about his greeting here as well. First of all, look at the name that he uses, Simon Peter. In the first letter, he was just Peter, but now he's adding Simon, or rather, he's adding it back on. You remember the story? Simon was his given name. That's what his parents named him. 
Jesus, however, named him Peter, the rock. And it's interesting to me that he would revert. Well, not revert, that's not fair. But I wonder if perhaps as he was nearing the end of his life, he was feeling a bit of a dichotomy between the two. Maybe you can relate. That there was a part of him, Simon, who is very human. He's got his own ideas about how things should be, and he's going to make sure that it happens that way. He doesn't like to submit or follow. That's Simon. And then there's another part of him who is devoted and humble and wants nothing more than to follow Jesus forever. That's Peter. And as he begins this letter, he says, I am Simon Peter. I am both. And I want to say to you that it is okay to acknowledge that there is a part of you that doesn't want to follow God. Paul refers to this part of ourselves as our flesh, but it's important to point out that he doesn't mean that our physical bodies as if they were the problem. Peter's reminding us that it is okay to struggle. It is okay to need to be reminded, to need to come back, or to need to be brought back. Simon Peter, who denied Jesus three times and called down curses upon himself, certainly understood the need to be brought back to Jesus. And that's a lot of what this letter is, is Peter reminding you of your need for Jesus and also of how sufficient Jesus is and that restoration is not only possible, but that God wants it. The second thing to point out is how Peter describes himself. Peter still describes himself as as an apostle in this letter, which he did in the first letter, but he uses another word first. My Bible translates this word as servant. In Greek, this word is doulos, and there's a pretty good chance that this word should rather be translated slave. This is the same word that Paul uses to describe himself in Romans 1.1 and in Philippians 1.1 and in another, a number of other places. In fact, just about anywhere in the Bible where you see the word servant or bond servant, you can probably safely assume that the word is actually slave. Simon Peter, a slave of Jesus Christ. And not only that, he puts his self-description as slave before his self-description as an apostle. Peter is saying that his devotion and service to Jesus is the most important thing about him. Even more important than his life's work, the task laid before him by God, even more important than his work within the church is his private devotion to Jesus. Peter, at the end of his life, is looking back and is not by any means suggesting that building the church or any of the rest of his work hasn't been worth it but that the thing that has stood out the most has been his own relationship to Jesus. Okay, that's a whole lot out of the first like four words of this book, and I really want to get through this chapter with you all today. Peter's second letter breaks very nicely into three sections, which correspond to the chapter breaks. Convenient. In this last address, he wants to highlight three things for Christians as he entrusts them to God's care. He wants to give them something to cling to, He wants to give them something to beware of, and he wants to give them something to look forward to. Chapter one is all about something to cling to. Next week is the beware chapter, and the third week will be about hope. 
So the main theme of this chapter is that Peter is giving the church something to cling to and that this ultimately is our eternal security. In fact, his theme is right there in the opening. Immediately after the address stating who he is and who the letter is being sent to, what's the first thing that he says? Grace and peace be yours. That is what Peter is doing. Once Peter is gone, the first and maybe most important thing that he wants the people to have is grace and peace. Now, how are we going to get grace and peace? Peter gives us some reasons why we have grace and peace already, and then he also gives us some things to do in order to help us re-engage with that grace and peace when we're feeling disconnected. Because that's a real thing, right? We know that God loves us, that we've been given gifts, that we've been called and chosen, and yet sometimes it feels like our spiritual wheels are just spinning, that we're being ineffective and that this is all just a waste of time and energy, right? But that's when we need to plug back in, to re-engage with grace and peace and to focus back on God. So Peter says we have some great stuff, but how do we have it? How do we get it? How do we get more of it? Let's read a little bit. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Through the knowledge of God. His divine power has given us everything we need through, for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. It's through our knowing God that we have grace and peace. It's through knowing God that we have everything that we need for a godly life. So this is both what we cling to and also what we strive for, greater knowledge of God. We cling to that knowledge that we have. It's the foundation. We need it so desperately. But we are also yearning and stretching for more. And what happens as we grow in the knowledge of God? Verse four, through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. I don't wanna miss this. This letter is very practical. It's very much about living in this world and that is super important. Sunday is great, but we want it to affect Monday and Tuesday, right? So we tend to focus on the second part, escaping corruption. And that's great, we want that. But Peter is also talking about more than that. Not just escaping the corruption in the world, not just keeping evil desires in check, but look at what he says, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. Participation in the divine nature, as in the Trinity, the eternal relationship of love and fellowship and joy and power that each person of the Godhead shares as a result of their divine nature. And you are invited to participate in the divine nature. This is so much bigger than just not sinning. Peter is talking about becoming more like God, not becoming gods, mind you, Right? Deuteronomy 6.4, Hero Israel, Yahweh our Lord, the Lord alone. There are no other gods. So it's not that. We're not talking about becoming gods. But Peter is talking about something like we see in Romans chapter 8, about being conformed to the image of the Son, being more like Jesus, more like God. And that is worth clinging to. 
Then Peter gives us three things that we can do to help us cling. Well, I've spit it into three aspects. Peter wasn't that considerate, but I'm trying to be helpful for us. The first thing is this. Make every effort. Starting in verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. Peter gives us a list of qualities that we can work on in our lives. He assumes that we have faith and there's a very specific reason for that. Peter is writing to Christians in churches. You can't be a Christian without faith. Faith is how you become a Christian. You can't be born a Christian. So if you're here and you still haven't made a decision about Jesus yet, just know that this part isn't so much for you. You're still on an earlier step, and that's fine. But Peter gives us an interesting list of seven items. He seems to treat it like a ladder where they build upon another, but personally, I have a hard time seeing the relationship between some of them. Now, you can't treat this like a buffet. You don't get to say, oh, I want the goodness, but I think I'm gonna pass on perseverance, right? At the same time, we also don't wanna think about this as a strict hierarchy, right? You, you also don't get to say, well, I don't have to work on perseverance because I'm still working on godliness or whatever, right? You, you also can't treat it that way. But I love Peter's, what's this for? his response to what this will accomplish in your life. In verse eight, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. To keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of Jesus and remember what we already said about knowledge of Jesus. That's how we access everything that we need, God's power, grace, and peace. Remember back from like verse two? I also love the description of those who don't have these qualities or that aren't growing in them. Forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. That's what he has to say about these people. Our desperate need of God needs to remain at the forefront of our spiritual lives at all times. We can never afford to take for granted that we've somehow earned our place in the kingdom of God. In fact, the Bible has some pretty strong words against the idea that earning your place is even possible. And yet, Christians can and do forget. We come to church, we read our Bible cover to cover one time, check that off the to-do list, and then we stop. We get involved in something or other, and then we start to treat our activity as a substitute for the relationship. Remember how Peter started this letter. Simon Peter, the one who follows and the one who turns away. Peter hasn't forgotten the cleansing of his sin. Remember that Peter called himself first Christ's slave and that his devotion to Jesus, that personal relationship, was his most defining feature. Make every effort. Strive for these qualities. Strive in faith and put in the work while in relationship with Jesus. And then you won't be ineffective. Peter has another make every effort for us, though. 
in verse 10. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How do we confirm our calling and election? Calling and election are other terms for being saved, by the way, just in case that wasn't clear. Peter is encouraging us to be confident in our salvation, to reassure ourselves, and in this way, to keep us from stumbling. This is a whole process to remind yourself that you are saved, that you are secure. But how do we do that? Well, Peter gives us another way to work on this. Refresh your memory. In verse 12, we read, So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort, now it's Peter's turn to make every effort. I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. Remember, Peter says. Remember, remember. This is a big theme in the Bible. Just One example, in Joshua chapter four, when Israel crosses the Jordan River into the promised land, crosses the Jordan River on dry ground. God dries up the river just like he did the Red Sea. God tells Joshua to erect a monument of great stones that have been taken from the bed of the river. And God says that these stones are to be a memorial for Israel because remembering is important. But on the flip side, in Judges chapter 2, we read that another generation after Joshua comes up and it says that they did not know the Lord, that they did not remember what God had done for them. And all through the Bible, when the people forget God or they forget God's great deeds, that's when they start to go bad. So Peter's emphasis on remembering It's something that he comes by honestly. It's a theme and tradition dating back long before the New Testament. And we do this, right? We're doing this now. We work hard to remember. We're coming up to Easter when we remember the death and resurrection of Jesus. We do communion every month to remember. We do Christmas and we do Thanksgiving. And we work hard as a church to remind ourselves of the love and goodness and action of God but you have to do it too. I get you on Sunday, but who reminds you on Monday? You have to do it. You have to remember. So the last thing is this. We were witnesses. Here's what Peter has to say, verse 16. For we did not follow clearly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Now, I really like apologetics. I am someone who enjoys the argument and the debate, the lining up of evidence and the formulating of arguments about the the veracity of the Christian faith, right? Whether this is something we can trust. So for me, verse 16 is really important that these are not cleverly devised fables. Peter was there. 
And I have, over the years, come to the conclusion that we can confidently say this about our Christian faith, that we are not following cleverly devised fables, that this is about actual things that happened in actual history. That is the Christian claim. This isn't about political parties or sexual ethics or philosophical nuances. Christianity is either true or it is false on the basis of the resurrection of Jesus and nothing else. Nothing else. I won't go into detail on those arguments today because we're just about out of time. But we've definitely discussed them before and that can all be found on our YouTube channel. Or if you want to just come talk to me after the service, I love this stuff. But that's all sort of macro, right? That's really big picture. It's important, but it's a little bit out there. Peter is talking about the witness of the, re- the witnesses to the resurrection, the witnesses to Jesus' life, and that's important. But there's another kind of witness that you can fall back on when things are hard and you're questioning, and that is the witness of what has happened in your own life. Remember those times when God came through. Remember when he provided. Remember when you survived something and you have no idea how that happened. Remember how you were comforted by the indescribable presence of God when you were at your lowest. I don't know. I can't tell you what experience of God you've had. You have to remember that for yourself. Remember how you were cleansed from your sin. Be the eyewitness to those great acts of love, those great acts of God that have happened in your own life. The chapter finishes with this. Verse 19, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit." This last call of comfort is to trust in what has come before. When Peter wrote this, they didn't have a New Testament per se. They had some letters, they had some gospels, but they hadn't been assembled, they, hadn't been, they weren't quite being treated that way at that point yet, but they were very, very close. But they did have the Old Testament already, exactly as we have it. The prophecies and the stories of God's faithfulness. Peter is reminding them to trust in the authenticity of the scriptures, in the power of God's word to transform lives and to renew hearts. When Peter is gone, he wants the church to have some comfort to cling to, to strive toward godliness and love and receive grace and peace. Remember, bear witness and be confident. Read this book, know this God, and as verse 19 says, it will be as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Let's pray. Lord God, we want to know you. Lord, it can be so hard to cling to you in a, in a world that wants nothing to do with you, in a world that, that ridicules belief in you and trust in you and the way that you would have us live our lives. Lord, help us to hold on. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your great promises. Thank you most of all for the knowledge of you and everything that we've received. 
pray that you would put this word deep into our hearts and that it would reap a harvest in our souls. In your name we pray, amen.